Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor, and my favorite way to buy and sell tickets to sporting events, concerts, and whatever else you want to go to. Let me break it down for you, Chris. There's a mobile app. Andy for Greenwald! <laughs> I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to get you across the bridge. With this app, the one I was mentioning briefly the a moment ago, SeatGeek yeah. mobile app, you can quickly and easily buy tickets. It, how many taps does it take? Deuce! Deuces, two taps. You can have your tickets delivered straight to your phone. That way you can enter the event that way. You can be one of those people just flashing flashing the screen to I, get in. I love doing that. I'm post-paper. I'm post-paper myself. And if you can't make it to the event, SeatGeek now lets you to transfer tickets to your friends or post your tickets to sale from your phone. So you're never going to be like one of those dudes where you're like, I got tickets and I'm just sitting on, the, I'm sitting on these. I have a question for you. Yeah. Is there anything we can, like anything special we can do for our listeners? Oh my god, I have a special offer. What? Special offer for Channel 33 listeners. SeatGeek is giving $20 back off your first purchase with the code BSPN. You can pretty much go to Strawberries or Sam Goody or buy a CD with that money. I love that. Uh, to get $20 back on your first SeatGeek purchase, download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code BSPN. Done. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch, part of the Channel 33 podcast feed. My name is Chris Ryan and with me in an undisclosed LA location, it's the man of the year every year. It's Andy Greenwald! The Angela Merkel <laughs> to your Francois Hollande. The Chancellor! Yes, the Chancellor is here. It's that special time of year. Oh my God, it's the end of the year, Andy, and it's our semi-annual. I think we've done this two times. So it's annual. Sure. It's officially annual. Uh, it's our the, the annual The Wall. The Wall is not only a Game of Thrones reference to some extent, mm-hmm. in the sense that when we record podcasts, we are celibate mm-hmm. and we are defending something. And we are wearing all black like <laughs> Cure fans in 1989. <laughs> but it's also where we put our favorite people. We put take, take imaginary pictures of these people and we put them on the wall. We're in a room decorated so, with posters right now. It's very inspirational. But so the idea being... This is not the best of the year. This no. is purely subjective. These are our personal heroes, like Veterans of the Wall from last year, um, the, the the Queen, the Goddess Reese Witherspoon, oh. always on the wall. Yeah, right. Al- always in trouble with the law, too. You know, another example I like to mention always, Joan Allen, always on my personal wall. We haven't <laughs> spoken about her in four years, but so I still ride for from, her. from, uh, from blonde actors. Blonde actresses, actresses that I like. we also tend to put... Um, rappers and indie rockers mm-hmm. and uh, DJs and but you wanted to flip it up authors. a little bit this year, which I appreciated. Yeah, a little bit. I just wanted to just make let's make sure we get the full scope of culture that that ran through our filters this year that right? we remember. Yeah. So let's start out with um, you know, let's start out with the 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 platform that most people come to us for, mm. and that's TV talk, mm. channel surfing. Yeah. Uh, and you landed on channel thirty three. Nice. <laughs> um, let's talk about a little bit. My man uh, going up on the wall first mm-hmm. is uh, we're going to have a couple people from this show. Yeah. This is a beloved show. Yeah. But I want to put Boyd Holbrook from Narcos. Woo! And I'm not talking about your acting, pretty boy. Nope. I'm not talking about your beautiful blonde hair, your nope. dope mustache. I'm talking about your voiceover work. Look, we've talked a lot about this show. I forget, What's it called? Narcos! And how much Chris especially loves it. But one of the things that we've been thinking about, which is, you know, this show, is basically the most amazing thing about it is it's essentially Wikipedia theater, right? Like, yeah. it does not function like a dramatic TV show. It's insane to me that there's going to be a second like a season. It is a show made for, if you are, like, it, it's like, if you, I'm, I'm no, no disrespect, but if you are blind, you can still watch this show and follow it. Because yeah. my man Boyd Holbrook comes through and he's just like, what you're seeing in this scene is this. Yeah. So the yeah. So the Colombians were making some cocaine, yeah. and we were there to stop. Pablo Escobar wanted to be the jefe, 
And so he became the Hefe. That spelled Jeff. <laughs> like, can you imagine the outtakes, the deep outtakes of Boyd's voiceover? Plus, he was hurting. Did you read that recently? He got dumped by your girl Elizabeth Olsen while he was no, making the show. You can't dump him while he's out. On, he's out on the job. But it helped. It made that mustache just turn a few more centimeters. Crinkled I thought down I the noticed a deeper timber to his voiceovers later in the season. Here, here's the trick. And now there's been a lot of stuff recently. Like there is a season two of Narcos coming. I can't wait. That and you know, not only can you not wait. A lot of people can't wait. Like our man Pusha, who might be on the wall later in the show. I don't really remember what yeah. we agreed on. You know, his his barcode is Netflix Narcos. And I heard him on uh, 106, the radio station out here, since I've been in Los Angeles. Yeah. And, you know, he basically was gunning from my corner. He, he was talking about his album. He was talking about working with Kanye. And they brought up Narcos. And he basically just, he just, people talk about me doing NPR voice. He switched to NPR voice and was like, Yo, that is an excellent TV show. <laughs> he was just like, this show is the great. The thing is, is that People in its own it. way, Narcos is an excellent TV it show. It is the perfect show for Netflix because you can just watch it and it doesn't take anything from you. It just gives. Yeah. Two, its ratings are really, really good. Now, Netflix does not talk about ratings, but the ratings must be good for this because enough people are leaking a little bit that they're good oh, yeah. to get people super hype on it. So part of me feels, and then we'll move on, Part of me feels the appeal of Narcos. You could say it's because it's about drug lords, and that's cool. You could say it's because of Boyd's just droopy dog voiceover. Yeah. And obviously, we love it enough to have you know put it up on the wall. But I kind of feel to really understand the allure of Narcos, you just have to go back to a different a different uh, model. Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, Schoolhouse Rock was a series of childhood cartoons and songs meant to illustrate how the U.S. government works in a fun way the kids would like. Narcos is the Schoolhouse Rock of the global of drug, the drug war. war. Yeah. It is. It's just like, well, you know, you think you know the story, and guess what? You do. You do. It's exactly gonna, what you thought we, it was. We are not yeah. going to add anything to this narrative, but we're just going to spice it up and just put it on for you like a nice show. Look, all I know is I came out of this show knowing if you want the powder, you need the paste. It, you did have to know that early on, and I also think Boyd Holbrook's wife had a cat at some point. That's pretty much it. So is that shouts, cat? Yeah. shouts to Boyd. I've never seen a more endangered cat. Um, also, from the world of television, we wanted to throw two showrunners up. We always like you know dapping up the well, the creative leaders of television shows these shows don't happen in a vacuum they're no. people are people behind the scenes so shout out to sam esmail and damon lindelof the homies yeah uh damon lindelof the showrunner creator uh co-creator of leftovers sam esmail the creator of mr robot you know both those guys have been on the andy greenwald podcast and that's not why they're on no, the wall but not. It, it doesn't hurt i don't even listen to the andy greenwald podcast i'm too busy reading newt gingrich's historical fiction <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a callback to last week Chris. um no these were two uh excellent shows and i thought that they both were for lindelof it was a course correction and yep. for sam esmail it was like a brilliant entree into the scene you yeah, know what i mean so you had sort of like what someone who's a veteran in the game can kind of do if they are given enough room to kind of fix things that might have been wrong yes. with their show and then you see what happens when uh, unknown quantity like USA or at least some pl- somebody who hadn't been into prestige drama in the past although yeah. you know some people would say Suits is pretty prestigious prestige shouts um, to Juliet uh, you know when you let some someone like Sam Esmail who just basically make eight hours of television the way he wants to make it I think that you know I would also throw people I mean I would I would throw Jill Soloway on there too yeah because I mean these, these, all showrunners are special no but but specifically those three people yeah. are giving us pretty uncompromising visions mm-hmm. right and you're not not everyone's going to like those visions or immediately be receptive to them, but it is very exciting to me. And, I, and actually, I feel like we were fairly fair about this with the leftover season one, which neither of us particularly loved. But the one thing you could 
argue about that show is that, boy, was that the show that, that Damon Lindelof and his writers wanted to make. Sure. You know, it was unwavering and it was unblinking in the face. I mean, it was essentially a show about massive torment and sorrow. And that is not for everyone. But that's the show they wanted to make. And, you know, by golly, that's the show they made. But it was particularly impressive to see someone given the freedom, I would argue, to fail slightly with that one year. Yeah. But then given the freedom to fix it in yeah. ways that were still pretty uncompromising and pretty surprising. Um, you know, I didn't do a best episodes list. I did a top 10 that, that went in the HitFix poll. But, you know, I, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find two better hours of TV this year than the Mr. Robot pilot, purely because both of us were a little dubious about a show a with that title. I was partial the Prison Break episode. No, no, I think that may have been a better episode, but I just mean in terms of the experience we have watching TV. Let, let's, let's take a quick step back. That's dope where you're like... I didn't Three do a 10 best episodes. Here's an episode, but there was a better episode. No, no, no. But in terms of, here's what, here's what I wanted to say about it. Um, when Mad Men ended this year, one of the things that we, you and I kept talking about on our show uh, was that one of the reasons why Mad Men was amazing was the, you know, the, the, like the, the brilliant skydiving writing of Matt Weiner, sure, and the depth of the character work, but also essentially it was a TV show. Mm -hmm. It was an office comedy slash drama. It hit beats that we were familiar with. It just hit them in ways that we didn't know were possible. Yeah. When I watched the pilot of Mr. Robot, I was like, oh, everything I thought I knew is wrong. I did not know you could do, you couldn't do voiceover. No one lets you do voiceover. You right. can't do a whole, you can't do an entire <laughs> <Actually>. show. <laughs> you can't do an entire show from the point of view of an adult character yeah. who's, who is essentially untrustworthy. An, untru an unreliable narrator. Um, yeah. And it was, it was virtu it was virtuosic, not just in the writing, but in the visuals too. Yeah. And, and, the, and the music and the sound design and like everything about it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I would say the other episode that I would put on this fictional list that I didn't actually make was um, International Assassin. Which was, leftovers. The, yeah. which was the ep Leftovers episode that was in, set entirely in either a uh, delusion or in a purgatory that was more or less a Texas hotel. Yeah. And everything about that episode felt like someone wily E. Coyoteing off a cliff, looking down and laughing and not falling. And it's pretty, you know, one of the central dynamics of television always is how is it going to push things forward and also make us comfortable because it is a comforting medium sitting on couches at the end of the day and watching some, watching your stories. Yeah. And for people who watch as much of it as we do and then try to watch it critically so we talk about it to see that and I'll throw transparent in this as well to see shows that can push forward what we think is possible to discomfort us as much as comfort us. A plus you're all on the wall. Mhm. Mm I agree with you there. I mean, they, they were they were they were both um, pretty pretty groundbreaking shows in their own way. Uh, we wanted to also throw two actresses up there that we enjoyed the work of um, from the Marvel Comics universe. Yes, this was a great. But you made this point. I think this is a really great point. Uh, did I like Rosario Dawson? Well, they, <laughs> well, I think that Rosario Dawson has been on the wall, like just underneath, you know, another poster, and we just lifted it up, and we're like, she's always been there. Yeah, I mean, but no, but I, but I meant that that. Um, the fact that she was kind of the best thing about Daredevil, a show we liked. Yeah. Um, go ahead. You. you well, no, you I mean, on. I just, it's just, I think that the, I've had some issues or some, there's been a barrier between my enjoyment of the Marvel, like, stuff that's on, in, on big screen, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that largely it's kind of executing a game plan that's sort of trying to satisfy a bunch of comic book fans, which I, I identify as a comic book fan for sure, maybe not as much as somebody else in this room. I, I, Tate, you gotta come clean. But... I thought that this stuff on Netflix this year, Jessica Jones and Daredevil, was a really interesting move by by Marvel to allow 
a somewhat more PG-13 soft R world exist mm-hmm. in this comics universe. And it was really cool, but just because, like, there were just more real people in these shows. Well, and the no more, like, the two two characters really jumped out at me this year were uh, Rosario Dawson on Daredevil and Kristen Ritter on Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones really liked it. We've talked about it before, how that is an example of that story, the way that they chose to tell it, the way Melissa Rosenberg chose to tell it, was so terrific, the way it focused just just relentlessly on this idea of something that is not ever in superhero fiction, really, which is trauma, basically, and the violence done to people. The way that she approached it was so relentless, I don't think it was possible to sustain for 13 episodes. I think that's sort of come clear, but I still am a big fan of the series, and it's primarily because of Kristen Ritter's performance. That is a star performance. Yeah. She has been good in just about everything, but to see her... You know, I think I think the knock that I would have put on her, what I, or what I thought would have been a limitation, was that you know if you look at her more comedic parts, you look at the the B in Apartment Twenty Three or mm-hmm. whatever. Don't tell the right. Um, it, it, it's essentially a, a sort of a, a, a sarcasm. It's a it's a it's a part rooted in sort of superiority it's one, or sarcasm. One dimensional. It's in commenting on the sure. action as opposed to being a part of it. Sure, she's actually an actor of real vulnerability and control. And, yeah, and if you and saw and funny, and if you saw Breaking Bad, that you saw hints of that. That's right. Um, but you never did you like. This is kind of like one of those shows where you have to wonder how many people out there, if they had been given their shot. To carry a show like this. Yes. You know what I mean? Who out there did we not get to see at their full powers? Yes. And, and I also think I that... Really, I mean, I'm not really sure. Could you, is there anybody... Like, you know, and there's something like Terriers was like a great example of Donald Logue is not going to get probably yeah. another shot to carry a show like that. Yeah, and Michael Raymond James is kicking around doing great work in supporting parts. Yeah. But, but they, were, they were stars on that show and they were amazing together. But... I actually think the, the 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 answer that Jessica Jones gives us is not that there are that many actors that we would expect to be able to you know, who have missed their opportunities mm-hmm. to get those parts. It's that people like Kristen Ritter and Mike Holder played who plays Luke Cage. Luke Cage yeah. They haven't gotten the chance to play those parts, sure. and they were terrific at them. Yeah, and you know every script, but whether it's for TV or movies in the last twenty years, has essentially had the the manic pixie dream whatever sidekick. There's the Every screenwriter writes the part for the smart-talking, tough-talking, but secretly sexy female character. Yeah. This was the best possible version of that because she was a fully realized human woman. And that's so much more than just skating on the surface and responding to what the male hero is doing. And it's so easy for the Rosario Dawson character on Daredevil, Claire Temple, to be thought of as... You know, just such like a, a throwaway character. It could have just been so one-dimensional, like you're saying. But she actually acts as this bullshit detector for both shows. She shows up in yeah. both shows to sort of just be like, what are you doing? What are all but you also crazy people having doing? a kind of moral compass, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that it was really effective. I thought her coming in at the end of, of Jessica Jones did actually nicely tie the two shows together yeah. somewhat and kind of gave you this idea that all of this stuff could be going on in this version of Hell's yeah. Kitchen. And I think that if anyone is listening who is just naturally allergic to Marvel stuff or superhero stuff, I think just if you're a fan of of interesting TV and interesting TV storytelling, do yourself a favor and watch some of Jessica Jones. Yeah, even if you can't do the whole thing, just if to you, see Chris you should Ritter's really, really try to make it to episode seven through nine because that's where it really kind of picks up steam. Yeah, I actually thought that maybe it went on a couple of too many episodes, but that there the sort of peaks around seven, eight, Th- nine. Thirteen is yeah, it's too many. Um, let's keep going on with the wall here, right? 
Yeah, should we throw in like ensemble cast that we wanted to talk about? Yeah, if you want to throw one more, one more, uh, just one more TV related thing. Obviously, everyone's super hype on on Fargo season two. A rare example, I guess, leftovers being the other one where a show just takes a giant leap in its second season. Uh-huh. Uh, second seasons often bedevil people, and but what I wanted to say about this about this second season was just let's find some room for the supporting cast. Obviously, Kirsten Dunst and Patrick Wilson were terrific. They were nominated for Golden Globes recently. But let's look at the deep, deep bench and what this show gave, the opportunity the show gave to Bokeem Woodbine. Yeah, so we're putting Bokeem Woodbine up on the wall. Gene we got to put Smart. Gene Smart up on the wall. I mean, Ted Danson is a star, but the opportunity for the, to play that type of part. Kristen Milotti, Yeah. Um, look, Fargo is like probably one of the truly great things about Fargo is that you're never watching Fargo and you're like having the same reaction you might have with the Nick where you're just like, why isn't Clive Owen on screen? That's right. And part of it is just like, there's not necessarily someone as magnetic as Clive Owen. I mean, you could make that argument that Patrick, you know, Patrick Wilson is playing a very dry Midwestern character on purpose, but like you are always interested to um, see Brad Garrett or, you know, um, Jeffrey Donovan or, or all these different actors explore these bit parts. Well, let's talk about Zahn McLaren who plays, plays Hanzi, right? Yeah, man. it's turned and it turned into like his show for two episodes. That's the yeah. thing, you know. We, when when we first started the show, we would talk a lot about we talk a lot about Homeland, and we kind of still always do. But I thought one of the smart things that that Alex Gonzo, the showrunner of Homeland, told me all that time ago was that one of the few things they had left to play with was you know was timing when you reveal things. Mm-hmm. Like so, instead of having a big death in episode twelve, you do it in three. And oh my god, what is this show? Yeah, um, that is starting to become played out. But the thing that Fargo does is raise the bar in a different direction, which is to say. You don't know who who matters. Right. You don't know who's going on or off the board. Right. And that's it's, that your relationship that makes you even more on a knife's edge about who may or may or not live through and, this thing. And, you know, an essential thing about all the great TV shows, whether it's Mad Men or Ted Danson's old show, Becker. Sorry, <laughs> cheers. Um, is that you you kind of surprise yourself by falling in love with everyone. Yeah. And that's that is a purely TV experience. That's not like the new bold era. That is what TV does. And that's what this cast did for for us this year. Um, let's quickly go through uh, the world of music. Just for the-, the world of music. So we have a bunch of people we want to put up on the wall. My first one, uh, my first uh, person is Father John Misty. Yeah, I, I, that's your side of the wall. Uh, Father John Misty made an incredible uh, record this year called I Love You, Honey Bear. I think it is the album of the year. Do you really like that? Absolutely. Yeah, he's, you do? he's the one. He is, he's the one? He is the Jedi Master. That dude. From- and he gives good interview. Here's just one right. just random Father John Misty quote. I don't even know who he told this to. Someone was talking to him about like fashion, and he just goes, everyone kind of looks like a graphic designer. I just hate that look. It's predicated on not fucking up, as opposed to the emphasis be- really being on expression. There's a lot of prescriptive fashion. Oh, you need the perfect white shirt, and you need the perfect khaki. And it's just so boring. First of all... That's a thought leader. That's a that's a, a pioneer. First of all, shouts the perfect khaki. <laughs> I, I went shopping for some perfect khakis. Shouts to everybody in this in this room right now. It looks like a fucking graphic designer I, for everyone. <laughs> I, but I, you know, I I feel like our demographic sells people involved with the perfect khaki nothing, world. Yeah, man. No, there's nothing. We all like. There's nothing like a, like a crisp pant. Yeah, sure. I'm wearing a crisp jean right now. It's yeah. it's the, it's keeping its shape. Do you know what I'm not cool with? Can what? I just mention this? This does not go on the wall. Like. You, we've talked before how a certain clothing company just sends one billion emails a day and it's really <laughs> pissing me off. But you know what I refuse? Like, I, 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 you know, I like, I like clothes as much as the next person who needs to clothe themselves, maybe uh-huh. even more. Probably more than Father John Misty, although I've seen that dude just peacocking around in the world and I would disagree with that. 
I just refuse to accept a world where shirting is a word. Where sh- oh, uh, yeah, like, like making sure they have the, sh- the shirting department. It's like, guess what? Sell me a shirt. <laughs> but when, but when our, when, 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 when your men, your mans at, at the Gantt company are like, are you ready for fall shirting? I'm you're never ready for fall shirting because it's never fall here. This right. is like the only cold day in Los Angeles, and I go in to Gantt. Look, I'm not trying to Gantt's my brand, so I'm not trying. I know. To, like, I, I'm brought to you by the Gantt company. The Gantt I don't company. want to X out any future sponsorship deals. In fact, you want to welcome it, please. You Let need me more just shirting. say that I find that Gantt moves a little fast. You know what I mean? What seasonally or like? Yeah, life comes at you pretty fast to get, and it's just like you know what comes at you faster? Their emails. I'm not always ready for a flannel in August in Los Angeles, especially <laughs> since it feels like it's August in Los Angeles through Halloween. Yeah, but like, okay, we, we, we're off on a tangent here. There, you know, that plaid shirt you're wearing or where it's from, that can go on the wall. It's, it's lovely. From Gant. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Way to bring it home. Anyway, you you like Father John Misty? I can't listen to that. But. Okay, so you get to pick somebody that I don't like. Or that I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is just this is an Andy pick. Yeah, but I feel like you're in on this pick. Beach slang. <laughs> Yo, Beach slang made the best record of the year. Beach slang made the best record. They definitely of the year. made the best record of the year that is geared entirely towards you and I. It nothing. I think Kendrick Lamar might be like. Oh, I we'll, disagree. We'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about the Kendrick Lamar record, which I think is has grown on me a lot, um, especially because since I've been in Los Angeles, I've um, what do you call it? Listen to music. <laughs> Because yeah, you gotta do that. Little, let's talk a little bit about that. There's nothing like a year-end pod that's, you know, about basically about our lives. I mean, no, like, but you've been driving around Los Angeles. I'll say this. I, I, I've, you know, I think there's, this has been a terrific year of music. I've so many songs that I've really loved. I love the Beach Slang album. I think, you know... It's, Beach Slang album is called The Things We Do to Find People Who Feel Like Us. Yeah, it tell, is. Tell the people a little bit about Beach Slang. It's not like... The, Beach Slang is, a, is the, a, who we're talking no, about. No, I mean, we talked about them once before, but this is a group from our hometown of Philadelphia, which, by the way, all of a sudden is like music mecca. Because yeah. there are albums this year from a lot of other great bands. Um, Hop Along. I highly recommend the Hop Along record. Beach Slang. Um, Restorations. Uh, Restorations yeah. is a good group. Is Waxahachie from Philly? Well, I think she's living there now. I mean, it's, it's, we'll, it's we'll claim that it's all happening. Yeah. I mean, we're thousands of miles away. Adonis Creed, but be- Katie Crutchfield. So <laughs> transplants, both. <Yeah. laughs> I know, but champions in their hearts. Um, no, and Beachlang made a record that is literally tuned into the frequency of what we care about. I mean, this is the, the dude, the dude Alex John, who was used to be in a pop punk band called Weston. He's a con- he's a little bit older than us, but essentially a contemporary who grew up loving um, the replacements and then indie like Gotta by Voices and Archers of Loaf, and then also re- reached an age where he was like, yeah, I can. I can I can touch a little Blink One Eighty Two now and again. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the different the different generations of emotionally charged, let's say, punk or indie rock. It has it hits all the touchstones that we like. And yeah. the record is just completely full throated, genuine. It's just it's an exciting record, and I love listening to it. But I have to say, for all the music that I love this year, and I made a bunch of Spotify playlists. I think you probably did too. Maybe we'll throw some of this stuff on one sure. for our listeners. Um, I forgot how most people listen to music because I am either listening to headphones and writing at home or I'm on the subway and it's not the same thing. Driving really is. I know this is dumb, dumb, dumb. No, driving there's remains, nothing like driving. There's but nothing driving like, is the best way to listen to music because you're paying enough attention, but it's also soundtracking. There's nothing like letting the Camry off the leash. Yeah, I mean, you finally just uncork it. It is absolutely it's been weirdly transformative to be out here and be like, okay, let's check so out. So what's the LA record? What's the record you've been listening well, I've, to the most I've out I've been here? discovering a bunch of stuff. I was listening to the new Rick Ross album, which is really not that bad. First track <laughs> is good. I've been listening to um, 
Apple Music and Beats One. You know? Yes, yeah, so you Which, finally got got in on this. By the way, what's hilarious to me about Apple Music is that it's basically like like. 16 years ago when we would be like talking ourselves into like Ronnie size and represent yes. side projects when he plays like a like a Chris Stapleton song and then he's just like and now a real tune yeah. from LTJ Bookham like, there is yeah exactly it's just like all of Dizzy Children's seeds <laughs> yeah. are suddenly a thing that we're taking seriously yeah, I'm yeah, fine yeah. with that but it, it, the essential thing about it it's not just that Zane Lowe is just like a super shill who loves everything when he needs to love it and I do think he does it's whatever I don't think he's a phony I think he's a genuinely passionate dude Yeah, it's that he sounds like what I what BBC Radio One sounded like in snippets when I was there in 1997 yes. and made me love music. It, yeah. it sounds just foreign enough to make me pay attention. It's I think his he, enthusiasm. I think he's re he merchandises American music and like American mainstream music, which is basically what he plays, even if he's like discovering yeah. it. Um, in a way that is different than the way it sounds like on commercial radio, but, but or let's even also satellite radio, where it's just sort of like matter of fact that it's like. Here's another song from Yellow Tango. Well, he's legitimately excited, but let's also think about what is the dominant radio voice in America. It's like, you know, it, it's like the morning zoo host, right? Sure. Or it's like a Ryan Seacrest type. It's either like wacky yeah. times or it's or it's just so slick to the point of being completely frictionless. Yeah. And I think that the, the, with the enthusiasm that he brings to it seems like he's he's a part of it. We're all a part of it, and we're all doing it live globally. So he didn't intend to. And that's but, literally their ad copy. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm good at reading ad copy now. Did you hear me at the beginning of the show? I, I would actually. This seems a little. I, I would put him on the wall. I okay. didn't plan to. Zane Lowe's on the wall. I but, love it. I've, I'm I'm all about Zane. My favorite Zane shit is when he tries to break an artist, like yes. when he did Halsey. When he I, just he literally broke Halsey. Yeah, in he the was worst just way. like they played Halsey. I think I've talked about this before, but he played a new Americana. Yeah. I don't. I I would love to see the data behind Halsey, but like and 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 uh, yo. That song is a trash fire. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't have an opinion about Halsey, but I don't like that song. And he plays New Americana. He's just like the birth of an icon. Yeah. <laughs> Top tune. <laughs> Top tune. Um, one thing that we should look into is that he was. Can you imagine? So, like, when he he was so hyped for Halsey, do you know like what he so. was saying about Adele? He was just like he was like describing the the shift in tectonic plates and like the the like beginning yeah. of Fantasia. He was like, "We've been waiting, yeah, for an artist to come back yeah. and yeah, truly yeah. do it like this now after all these years." And it's like funk flex bomb drops. Yeah, yeah. The return of the soul singer. Do you, do you know what he said about? I'm making him sound like the like like diplomatic immunity from Lethal Weapon Two. Like, do you like, know what? Do you know what he said about Justin Bieber today? What he said that Justin Bieber's purpose was. Um, I want to get. I want to get this right. Probably one of the greatest records of the year, without question. That doesn't track. But I was like, okay, I can get. Like, I would say that about Beach Slang. I like that he was just saying positivity. Yeah. Just just voicing things. Yeah. And I would also say. For as much as we have, you know, culturally in many ways, technologically moved past radio in a lot of like we don't talk much about until it went digital with with, with Apple. We yeah. we kind of weren't weren't really checking for like radio hits or playing, you know, marketing music to the radio. The effectiveness of just little like funk flex bombs or little like like drop ins or whatever, like you know, mixtapes still understand that. We were playing the new Fabulous track that we love so much. And just honestly, I get kind of hype when I hear someone say like Dat Piff exclusive. Yeah. It's so I have a weird place where you can hear that. I, those words uttered quite a bit. But like when, when I'm the Zane show and they're just like, world record. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Always yeah. on. Yeah. I love it. That We also, need to get some of those, by the way. If you guys really want to get some pre-Apple Zane, there's a YouTube video of him talking about like, 
when at the drive-in played Jules Holland for the first time. I mean, like this. This is this how is like way crazy England and is. Though. Would, this is like watching Billy Crudup turn into <laughs> Doctor Manhattan, where he's just like, there was a stage, and then five, four men, five men came on that stage, and all there was 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 fire. Yeah. And wood and blood and, and and ghosts and Texas barbecue. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, great. I don't know. I don't. I, we we I, gotta I, get I, our I, Zane Lowe imitation down. I've been listening to uh, listening to Grimes a lot this week out here. She's yeah. a song called California. We're in California. It's that's a good song. The record is she on the wall? Or are we just talking about music that we like that we've listened to? I can't decide. Okay, but it's alternate. Kind of, she it's, gets an alternate. But Zane is on there. Um, we want to talk about some of our favorite rap shit this year. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned already, so we should probably talk about Kendrick. Like, I think Kendrick is on the wall, not just... I mean, people are saying To Pimp a Butterfly is the best record of the year. It is certainly in the conversation. It is an astonishing record that I've come to like a lot more. I've been listening to that a lot this week. Oh. You have to sink into it. You have to pay... It's, it, it actually driving serves that record well because it is there for you to pay attention to. But when you are just, like, focused on it on your headphones not driving, yeah. sometimes it's long. There's a lot of record there. So I've appreciated being able to dip in and out of its soundscape. But I want to put him on the wall because of the way he managed his career. He made this incredibly bold, artsy, political, surprising, unconventional record. Yeah, and then he did Bad Blood. Yeah, and then he bodied a Taylor Swift track <laughs> and the Classic Man remix. So he's yeah. managing a career for the 21st century. He's doing it very really, nicely. Really uh, smart way. And he's the best right. He is the He's the best rapper. There were other guys that I think, obviously, you can't really talk about rap this year without Drake and Future. But um, my favorite uh, rap record of the year and definitely my favorite Twitter personality of the year, my favorite dude of the year is Vince Staples. Yeah, you had that dude on on NBA NBA After After Dark. Dark. Yeah, and his record Summertime 06 is probably one of the best like major label rap debut albums that I've heard in a really long time. He is like... Uh, such a refreshing breath of fre- like, like a, a, a breath of fresh air. He is probably without question a breath of fresh yeah, air. Yeah, he's like without question one of the first albums <laughs> yeah. that Vince Staple has put out. <laughs> Indubitably his debut. Um, I love it. it Jump off the roof, uh, North North. There's so many good songs on this record. The title track I like. Yeah, and um, I just like I, I I love I love Vince. I don't. There's not even like that much to say. I, it's I, it, you know he's gotten a lot of shit because he's talked about sort of his he's got a very unconventional attitude towards the rap canon basically where he's just mm-hmm. like i'm not really trying to listen to like late 90s hip-hop i don't really care like i was listening in sync basically I'm, I'm like because i'm a child paraphrasing <laughs> paraphrasing basically yeah. but you know this is the first time where i've really like i even if i don't agree with someone from a younger generation i just like appreciate the the moxie with which they say it mm-hmm. um you know i'm not particularly protective about the late 90s rap music like nobody needs we don't need to keep protecting that. Like people know it's great. Music. It's fine. Yeah. It's good. It, yeah. Um, but yeah, Vince is Vince is my guy. Vince is going on the wall. What about our man B Flow? What about Brandon Flowers? <laughs> That's a great one. That that dude, yeah. we, you know, I had him on my show. We talked about him a lot. I feel like that record was wildly misunderstood. This is his solo album, The Desired Effect. Um, you know, we we you know, we we love the canon, Chris. We love certain kinds of uh like just music like classic singer songwriter stuff like we loved we love tom petty we like because those songs are better than most songs and i feel like the thing about brandon flowers and it was this was the best distillation of his aesthetic which is he wants he 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 his taste runs to things that he thinks are the very best of their styles bruce springsteen new order and he tries to do that kind of music on that scale yeah and sometimes you know is, is it 
I think people are made uncomfortable by the size of his ambition. But I love this album. I think the songs are in a lot of different styles, and I think they're executed amazingly. But I also love that on a, there's a beautiful ballad on that album, and he was like, I'm going to have a piano part here. Let me get Bruce Hornsby. I'm going to get the god Bruce Hornsby yeah. to play that piano. It's, uh, you know, it's. I wonder what would have happened if this record had come out at a different time in the year. I feel like it kind of fell through fell between the cracks earlier in the year whereas like i mean i don't know how much like attention this coldplay record is really getting besides like the fact that it's their last one but this coldplay record is you mean very, their like, most recent one not yeah their and last. it's it's this the one that just came out yeah but it's not it's not like they're not breaking up it's their most recent album i thought they said it was like this is our final album did they say that yeah oh that's that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> Why, why, why are you this bearing is, the lead without a doubt probably off that <laughs> exactly um the Brandon Flowers record is, does a lot of the things I think. Th- well, the Coldplay record was supposed to be like very pop. Um, yeah, because they had, they they collaborated with like s- Swedish dudes, yeah, Stargate and all that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I just like the Brandon Flowers thing is more my speed. The Brandon Flowers thing is a hard fit for 2015 because the Killers, the Killers can go super big because they have some hits. They 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 were they were existed early enough in the world to have had some legitimate hits that people yeah. want to hear, and they can do festivals and people want to hear the songs. The Brandon Flowers made with a with the backing of a major label or you know his own money that he made from you know playing glastonbury or whatever made an album that sounds enormous and yeah. strives to be enormous but he's also kind of almost an afterthought because he's essentially a singer songwriter in an era that doesn't care about it so i, I think that record is due for re-examination and it's terrific pusha just lives on the wall right pusha lives don't on the his... wall jamie xx lives on the wall lauren mayberry friend of a friend of channel 33 lives on the wall yeah the church's Churches. record is terrific um i think that's it for music Let's talk a little bit about the movies. The big screen. You now, know what? I re-entered that world this year. You have a smaller year. sample size than, than I do in the, in the world of movies, but we because do agree on what the best film of the year is. We should also say that for as much as I don't see movies or only started seeing movies in the last six weeks when I became suddenly unemployed, yeah. you see every movie. I do. Like, that is something you do just like, well, I have... There's, you know, I have a two hours I have four hours to kill. I'll go see this. Yeah. That, that is amazing. Yeah. You, you stay seeing movies. So I want to ask what you were doing. You're like, I'm going to go. I'm checking for the night before. Yeah. And let me. That's funny. You should mention that because one of the people I want to put on the wall is Michael Shannon for his performance in the night before. He shows up in that. He is real funny in that movie. Wow. He plays a pot dealer named Mr. Green. Into it. (laughs) And he has a lot of wisdom to pass down to these guys. And it's just like. Uh, if if Jonathan Levine and Seth Rogen never do another thing, they made Michael Shannon funny, which is a pretty huge accomplishment. I'd also like to shout out um, Benicio del Toro, Emily Blunt, and Josh Brolin, and put them all on the wall yes. for Sicario, the movie of the year. That movie, well, I mean, we did. How many? We did like a hot fifty minutes. Yeah, on we it. don't need to recap that, but we do. I just wanted to just put those people where they. Well, belong. let's let's just talk about. It. They are all amazing performers but particularly in this film they all went hard yeah for it they were all something that is i think underrated about a director and denis villeneuve is a director that we've talked about and that you are you ride for and anything he does essentially becomes must see yeah but that's often for the weight you know the stories directing the the blade runner sequel right and he gets attention for the stories he chooses to tell the 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 you know the the I don't know how you would even describe the. It's relentless. It's it's unflinching it's just, the way he captures I, them. But what I want to say, the skill that is underrated, is a movie production is an enormous sprawling thing, right? Mm-hmm. So to get not just your visual sense through your cinematographer, and he had, he was working with one of the Roger very Deacons, best, Roger yeah. Deakins, to get your three movie stars completely 
on the same page. That's different than just getting them to buy in. Yeah. But to get them all tuned to the same They're all in the same movie, which is actually pretty rare. That's exactly yeah. right. And even, you know, who knows how many days they all spent on set together. They do have some scenes together. It's not like shortcuts, but... Um, <laughs> But they are all in the same movie and selling it, and it is in a way that is breathtaking. Um, I, that's the number one movie of the year. I agree. For me, um, Spotlight. We didn't. We talked about it a little bit. Spotlight is. I still say what I said a few weeks ago. I think it's essentially perfect. Yeah. That, I I think Sicario is is wilder, you know, and 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 evinced a stronger emotional reaction in me. But Spotlight is dazzling in an understated way that cannot be said enough. Yeah, they're great movies for different reasons. Are you going to see Hateful Eight? I don't know. Do I have to? Uh, I, I mean, you should to be part of the conversation. Listen, I've gone to see the last few Tarantino movies precisely so to that be, we part, of be part of the conversation with, with you. Yeah. Um, you talked about it on a pod I haven't heard yet. Did, did, did you like it? I, I think it's 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 hard to say like or not like. I mean, I, I love Quentin Tarantino movies, but I think it will be very interesting to see people's reactions to this movie. This, get- this podcast is coming out next Monday, but um, it's it's fascinating. It's a lot like Reservoir Dogs. It's very dark, and it's it's a lot like Reservoir Dogs because it's somewhat of a chamber piece, and it, it, it's just got very uh, uh, ambiguous characters let's put it that way okay um i want to you know we, we that, that was some a brief foray into the movies um andy and i often talk well, not often not as often as we'd like but we do get we do get a chance to talk about books from time to time mm. and uh this year uh two two people really jumped out that i wanted to put up on the wall friends and pod <laughs> Let's talk about our favorite bird watching guru. Um, the first person oh. to really go up no? on the wall is uh, Marlon James. Yes. Winner of the uh, Booker Prize in England for A Brief History of Seven Killings, a sprawling uh, historical crime novel about that's sort of built around an assassination attempt on Bob Marley. Which, and his, which was true. Yeah. To and the historical record, but it, it is imaginative around that real. Yeah, and it is set in both in Jamaica and New York uh, in the in the mid mid seventies through the early eighties. It, it it is a pretty dazzling yeah. dense. I mean if it you're is a not fan a, of James Elroy, if you're yeah. a fan of um God, I don't even know. If you like, had a copy of Legend in your dorm room. Yeah, right. I mean it's it's pretty incredible and uh it, it's for, full of really virtuistic writing. It's it's very like demanding, but it's just also hugely rewarding. And I'm really, really, really excited that it won the Booker Prize because it's it's always cool to see like a brave new voice get rewarded like that. Yeah, I, I think you know we, Chris. I'm going to say something controversial. We love books. Yeah, we sure. Love to read books, sure. and we don't get to talk about it enough. And we, we constantly promise people that we'll update our our crime fiction Tumblr snitchbutlers.tumblr.com has a lot of our favorite writers on it. We will get back. Well, when to we it. did the True Detective, we, thing, we dumped these... a bunch of books on there. Yeah. but maybe we'll put some year end choices up there now. But what I wanted to say is, you know, in the search, for, there are you know, there's so many hundreds of books published every month, and so many things are, that are worthy, but. The still, I go to the bookstore. The dominant story that is being told there is, you know, a uh, a, a a young man's quest to do X, Y, or Z, or a broken family on the Upper West Side mm-hmm. slash West Coast. It is very the, certain um, demographics, certain types of people, certain education levels and backgrounds are this. These are well covered. Now, yeah. I'm not saying you can't. Like, I actually, I'm reading the Franzen book. I actually really like it. We don't need to talk about that, but like, <laughs> there are the people. I mean, he's a great writer. I don't, you know, this that's my feel. This is my feeling about the backlash. I'm not of laughing Franzen. at you. I'm just laughing at you. Like, I just want to say, it's like, a safe space. Man. Yo, you you know, like Franzen. You know what that dude can do? What that dude can write sentences in books. So I'm sorry that he's not on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, 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 I'm forgive me, but like, 
that dude is a better writer than you are, basically. So let's let's just all take a breath. Anyway, certain certain backgrounds and types of people are just well documented. Yeah, and to see that level of like interlocking fiction and possibilities about a world that like that book, Brief History of Seven Killings, had me at 1970s Jamaica. Yeah, in. So that's truly exciting, and the traction that it seems to be getting is especially so. But you wanted to even like put the wall a little bit forward, like next year's wall, right? Because you want to, well, well if the I mean, going, maybe Marlon like, James gives great interview, and yeah. in his uh, in his last interview that was sort of thrown around on the internet last week, they're asking him what his next book is going to be, and he's suggesting that he is going to basically write the African Game of Thrones, yes, like a fantasy mythology novel, sprawling. Uh, and he's swagging out. He's like, yo, I'm going to write 200 pages about descriptions of villages and dwarf like dwarf tribes that live in the mountains and stuff. And uh, based on like African mythology, and he was just like, it's just, you know, I feel like there's just as many stories to tell from that that part of the world as there are from anywhere else. And um, I really hope he goes for it. I really hope he just like dumbs out and just writes an 1100 page book. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. The world is ready for that because he, that book doesn't exist. Yeah. That is like... That is not a good way to start anything because great art can come from any source. But honestly, if you're sitting down and you're like, I have this idea and it does not exist at yeah, all. Yeah, when you say African Game of it, Thrones, I'm like, so how many zeros should I put at the end of this? Yeah, yeah. although on, and honestly, it's a good move for him anyway because that would, might be the only Game of Thrones book out in the next five years. Yeah, right. So. Um, the other author I wanted to throw up there on the wall is a guy I talked to earlier in the year, uh, Don Winslow, who is the author of this book, The Cartel, which is the sequel to a book called The Power of the Dog. And it's basically a chronicle of uh, of the war on drugs. So we're coming full circle back to narcos here. And we can never stray too far away from our favorite war. Um, so that's it for the wall, Andy, unless you have any more nominees. Um, one other book thing to throw up there. If we were, if Chris, if we, if you and I are just comparing authors that we had on our interview shows, Ryan Gaddis is all involved. Oh yeah, man. I, I, he was on my show. I think this book is really, really, really terrific. Um, it is basically a story about the Los Angeles riots in 1992, told from a variety of perspectives, from uh, Latino gangbangers to uh, firefighters to cops and moms and dads, and it is a it's it's a pretty dazzling storytelling feat but you know i also really enjoyed it because it is very much it feels very much rooted in a crime fiction tradition that we that we really like and and finally because i never have a chance we don't do this enough you can judge books by their covers and you can also judge them by their publishers and um europa editions publishes a line of books under the title world noir and pretty much everything they put out i buy and it's almost all really good and some of it is truly incredible. I talked about this before. This guy, um, Jean-Claude Izzo, who wrote yeah, about Marseille. I, I checked that out. In a way that is just truly moving and incredible. But then also I bought a book they put out this year called like Night of the Panthers. Uh-huh. This book is so raw and like not even good, but it's just about cops in an unnamed Italian city just basically setting fire <laughs> to drugs and drug dealers and then taking it for themselves. So I'm just saying in the same way that, that, that Narcos scratches an itch. Yeah. This book takes Wolverine claws to that itch. It's been a great year. Uh, we'll try to get all of this, all the wall people in sort of one yeah, written form I, to get out to people I, in case they want to check in. We'll, we'll have links in there and, and all that stuff. Can I be a little self-referential for a second? Sure, man. I'll put you on the wall, Chris. 
Thanks. We, this was a big year for us because we were almost forcibly separated. We almost got, we almost divorced. I know. I almost, we, I almost had to find a new podcast partner. You said that so quickly, like, <laughs> like as if you didn't have like a working list of Look, potential co-hosts. It's always been my dream to go solo to do the Colin Coward forty-five minute solo pod. But finally, finally, after a, what were we apart? No, for, man, it's five been weeks? it's been fantastic listening to, to working with you. It's been fantastic just listening to me talk at you about why I it's like been the fantastic. Americans. This is my third pod of the day. I'm sorry, it's but it's been amazing the fa- fact that we got a chance. To keep working together we are so excited to be part of the bill simmons podcast network we are so excited to bring the watch to greater heights yeah and um thank you seriously everybody who has listened throughout the entire year you know uh when grantland went down and when we when we left grantland uh it was you know incredibly moving to watch everybody kind of come out and say how much the pot it meant to them mm-hmm. trust me you know we don't always get a chance to respond to everybody but everybody who tweets at us and is just like that this that was funny or like when are you guys going to talk about this or i really enjoy listening like it means much more than we can ever possibly say and it's just been amazing that we've been able to have a chance to share like our friendship and the things that we like with e- with each other with you guys this so. is this is the most fun thing that we get to do yeah and this year like every year shout out to tate shout out to jason gallagher and dustin raglan for putting together our music shout mm-hmm. out to bill simmons and everybody over at the the new squad um yeah happy happy 2015 there's only one thing to say what happy new year baranski <laughs> i need sports to have to clear the room stand up and walk now, now.